Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Radio Islam International with me, Sister Faiza Munchi. On the line with me on the New Horizons program today is Lorindi Nal. Welcome Good. to Radio Islam and thank you for being with us this morning. Good morning, Faiza. It's a privilege for me. Thank you so much for having me. Now, it's a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about you quickly before we actually get into the program on neurodivergence. Uh, well, I am a counsellor for adults and children in uh, the Centurion Pretoria area, and uh, I'm the mother of four children. I have three neurodiverse children myself, and uh, yeah, so it's a it's a very um, precious subject for me to talk about today. I'm very passionate about it, and I really think that awareness around this topic can can achieve so much for our neurodiverse communities. So thank you so much for for this program. No, I'm, I'm I'm happy to have it because I haven't actually spoken about this in the past. So tell us briefly. I mean, our listeners may be wondering. I did say. You know, I did give a little bit of background on what neurodivergence means, but I think it, it it means more when it comes from someone who's actually experiencing it. So let's talk from the basis of what neurodivergence would be um, and how, what it would look like, you know, in the real world. And then we can go on to all of these things about support and how we look at our children and, you know, with regard to education, all of that. But I think it's really important to come from the basis of understanding what it actually is first. Yes. Um, I think if if you want to define the term neurodivergence, we we um, we say people are neurodiverse, which basically means that our brains function differently. Uh, there are neurological variations in the way that we process information and that we respond to other people and the world around us. And our neurodivergent group of people is a broad category for uh, a variety of different conditions that like autism or ADHD and dyslexia, um, quite a few uh, conditions that, that would um, make people function differently neurological. So the way that they engage socially, the way that they interpret information, um, the way they engage in, in uh, novel situations, all those things are different for those people than what they would be for neurotypical people who are the group of people that that we would say is the majority or the norm in societal contexts. Um, yeah, so so if you if you look at it in a household, mm-hmm. I think my personal experience of this would be that um, for a very long time, if I think of uh, my son is on the spectrum, we would have a lot of struggles with communication. For example, um, in hindsight, I, I realized that we misunderstood him. Uh, neurodivergent people often communicate in very black and white ways. So they are very factual. They are extremely fair. Uh, there's not a lot of gray areas in their interpretation of information. Um, and that could cause a lot of challenges when it comes to parenting and and um, communicating our expectations of our children mm-hmm. and interpreting their responses to, to our communication. Um, so it made a very big difference for me when I started to understand that it's not just something that affects schoolwork, for example. You know, it's not an intelligence problem even. It's also something that occurs on a spectrum. So, so people are not all the same it's even if you have the same diagnosis uh children with adhd would not look exactly the same 
So when we talk about, Lorindy, when we talk about kids who are neurodivergent children, um, I'm, I'm assuming they have unique needs. I mean, you've spoken about, you know, already when you've said that they don't see something in, uh, no, there's no gray areas. And in life, yeah. uh, with anyone who is typical, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of gray areas in the world for, yeah. for many of us. And that, that's life. That's almost every day. So the, the idea of going, you know, the answer is black and white. It's, it's black or it's white. It's, there's no in-between. It could get quite um, interesting, you know, could, yes. sort of dealing with that in, in, in regular life. So when one looks at a child who's neurodivergent, what are some of the needs and how, how is that best supported? And how do we understand those needs? I think uh, a key thing for me would be that you need to surround yourself with people that can help you to understand. So, so neurodivergence has to be diagnosed. Um, when when we suspect neurodivergence, a good place to start is with a neuro- neurologist, um, pediatric neuro- neurologist, or a psychiatrist, or an educational psychologist would be a person that you would go to for your initial diagnosis, even a pediatrician. Um, and then from there on, you would want to have professional people that are informed concerning uh, neurodivergence. And in my personal journey, this has been something that I think is invaluable because children differ so much. You can read books and you can educate yourself, but in the end, you have to pull that information through to your child and you have to find ways to support mm. your individual, very unique little person in your home. And there, it's valuable to have somebody that works with your child and that you can. Um, take your experiences to and say this is what I'm experiencing I'm saying something 50 times over before it happens Uh, what do we do Uh, why is this happening Uh, a great deal of pressure is relieved when we understand the why behind behavior and if we really want to help our children we have to become curious to understand why do they do what they do Um, an example that I that I often use to help parents with is one that we personally experience. My my son would make a sandwich um, and in the kitchen and he would mess cheese on the floor and I'd say, hey bud, you, you mess some cheese on the floor and then he would just sort of agree with me and carry on and I would want to explode because I told him to clean it up but I never told him to clean it up. Yes. I just stated a fact, he agreed with the fact, and his life went on because um, his brain doesn't work like that. He doesn't make inferences. He works with what I say is what I get. So if I rephrase my instruction and I just said, can you please pick up the cheese that you missed, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, so, So many times if we are not curious, if we don't get to a place where we say, I want to understand the back working of this. I want to understand how does the thinking process work that gets us to this place where it looks like flagrant defiance. Um, then, then we're going to end up in a place where our parent-child relationship becomes compromised and, and full of frustration and um, also for our children very difficult to navigate because they don't communicate well off the cuff. I'm just trying to... Um so in my own mind, trying to think about a household, for example, uh, Lorindy, where you've got 
typical children as well as typic, uh, atypical. So you've got kids who, uh, you know, would normally take typical instructions and then a child who's neurodivergent. I can imagine that that creates a lot of pressure on a parent because let's be honest, our children don't listen anyway. So yes. <laughs> we often give one instruction quite a few times before even the typical child tends to take, you know, yeah. uh, some sort of action. Um, and I know, you know for you personally, I mean, how do you navigate that? Uh, I know it's, you know, going into the story of how you, in fact, navigate within your household, but how is it that you can navigate that journey without becoming a sort of a blow up every day when some instruction needs to be followed? I think um, you need to embrace some parenting strategies. So, so with neurodivergent children, you can't be... Um, giving instructions on the by so you can't be in the kitchen and shout to the bedroom go and bath quickly you okay. need to, to commit to your instruction and your child commits to the instruction to the extent that you do and then you know um, I think the the family culture of different not less is so important for me so where there are typical children and neurodivergent children or children you know they differ in any way I think even in families where you just have different personalities. It's important to communicate a family culture that says difference doesn't imply that you are less in any way. So so we talk about this and, and we say, you know, your brain works a different way. Um, one of my children are very uh, sensitive to sound. Um, you know, so so we would have to make some allowances for that but also from a very young age you have to teach children to take responsibility for their own profile so you know if noise bothers you for example you can't expect people in a communal area like the lounge to not talk or to not move or not make a noise and if you need silence then you should have a space where you have autonomy and you can decide whether there's music or not but that's not the communal area so so you make plans like that i think it's extremely important with neurodivergent children to constantly from a very young age introduce the concept of what plan can we make you know when you are overwhelmed by the sound what plan can we make when you don't want to play with the friends what plan can we make um and, and it empowers them because much of the, the trauma that neurodivergent children's, children experience in social settings comes from the fact that they have no recourse. They, they must be there and they are odd sometimes and they don't know what to do with that. So the moment we address that helplessness and we give them something that they can do, a plan, a place that they can go, um, even a sentence that they can say when, when they're overwhelmed, then they are not helpless anymore and they they get into that mindset of I can do something or I can talk to someone that can help me to do something. They're not alone and they're not um, without recourse. Mm. So it's, you know, um, as I listen to you say that, I have real, uh, you, it comes to mind how much a parent who has a child who's got some sort of neurodivergence um, 
would have to learn in the process because parenting in itself is quite the journey. Um, and for those whose kids, you know, follow a typical path with development, walking, everything else and learning, etc., cetera, um, that path is, uh, even that path can be complicated. Yeah. But I, 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 understand, I, I mean, I think about this and I think about how much learning goes into I, I think it's about how conscious a parent of a neurodivergent child needs to be. You know, so where would you know parents who who find out that their children have neurodivergent needs? Where, what resources are available for these parents? How much can they learn? Where can they learn about it? I think there's there's a lot of resources available. There are wonderful, wonderful books, um, books that really helped me. Was uh, were books that were written by adult neurodivergent individuals uh, that could you know find words to express their experiences. And obviously, you can't copy and paste somebody else's experience onto your child, but it gave me a lot of insight. To, to be able to read about somebody's experiences and their interpretation and their way of communication. Um, so I think that would definitely for me be something to seek out as the parent of a, a neurodivergent child. Um, I think many times when we have neurodivergent children, we also have neurodivergent parents. It is uh, sometimes genetically transferred. So so it's important to find resources that speak to your way of learning. Um, there are many uh, social media platforms that, that share wonderful information about neurodivergence. So if you follow the hashtag neurodivergence or ADHD or um, whatever your child-specific neurodivergence is, you should be able to get wonderful information. Um, then there are also support groups online. You can just search with your child-specific neurodivergence. Um, and then I think for me the most, most crucial place of learning would be the professionals that are involved with your specific child. Um, you, you can have a lot of general information, but because neurodivergent people are not all identical, they're not mm -hmm. all on the same um place on the spectrum of neurodivergence it's so important that you learn and apply the information that you learn to the individual and that happens when you sit say for example with your child's play therapist and you discuss this is what happened in our home can you give me insight can you help me to understand why does my child have a meltdown every night when it's bath time you know, um, and you can work with the patterns that you observe in your household, uh, your, your child's teacher, your occupational therapist. I think occupational therapists are invaluable sources mm -hmm. of information when it comes to neurodivergence and the sensory component of it, um, and also for strategies to help children regulate. So, yeah, I would say your your support structure that you build would be your first place of learning and getting information and then you've got to read and you've got to find a way to learn that that speaks to your way of learning so um, on Instagram there are quite a few reputable professionals that share wonderful information even on TikTok so yeah you've got to go do your homework a little bit and find something that that can help you to educate yourself when it comes to social situations, Lorindi, um, I would imagine that social situations could become quite 
complex for a child who's neurodivergent um mm-hmm. how can parents help their children you know navigate social situations build meaningful connections with their peers be able to be comfortable in different social spaces i think preparation is very important um anytime a neurodivergent child has to make a transition from one situation to the next there's a lot of sensory demand on them for that their whole system has to realign to the context that they're moving to which is often very difficult for them um if they don't know what to expect it makes it a lot worse so so when we go to a um, social gathering or a social event with friends or a concert or something like that it's extremely important to sit and to prepare your child for exactly what you expect it's going to be a lot of people you can be with me all the time or you are going to be with whoever all the time um this is your go-to person uh for children that are sound sensitive you can you can take something like sound blocking earphones or um a weighted blanket or something that they experience as something that comforts them Mm-hmm. and then also i think you know making plans so you've got to go what is the worst thing that can happen if if you find that this is too much for you everything's going haywire what is our plan so obviously the older your child is the easier this is with very young children um i normally advise that that a parent needs to understand that you regulate and you are responsible for helping your child regulate uh neurodivergent children often struggle to identify their own emotions so they register their sensory overload or their emotional turmoil at a point where it is so much that they can't handle it anymore. So a parent that's tuned in is so precious in the sense that you can see when your child starts um becoming dysregulated. So you can see they they become anxious for example, they start I I say they start fluttering so they all over the show, they become hyper or they withdraw mm-hmm. completely. Um they they start showing signs of anxiety and then you need to step in and say I can see that you are not feeling so well right now. Do you want to go for a walk? Do you maybe want to um go to the car for a little bit with me or do you need to eat something? Um and and in that way we help them and we model for them how to take responsibility for themselves. Neurodiversity doesn't go away when we become adults. So when you teach your child from a very young age that we can make plans to help mm-hmm. us stay regulated you are teaching them an invaluable skill that they will have to use for the rest of their lives um I think when we when it comes to social situations energy budgeting is very important it's very draining for many neurodiverse children to to spend time in social context so if you know you're going to have a very busy weekend you need to build in some time for recovery um and then something else that I think that's that's also important is that you start teaching them words from a young age to express i need a little bit of time i need mm-hmm. to be held i need to be alone um you know that they need to learn how to recognize and how to verbalize their own needs so that they can can operate in a neurotypical world to their maximum potential 
that's uh, I think that will be very helpful information for those who are dealing with children, with neurodivergent children, because it's important for us as adults to be able to give them the space. And like you're saying, you know, it's not going to go away as an adult. So you yeah. then have those tools as an adult to be able to understand, okay, I'm going to a social situation, I'm going into a social setting. Um, yeah. But okay, I'll be safe because I know that I have these plans in my mind. If it's too much for me, you know, I'll take a walk outside or whatever it yeah. might be as an adult yes. that they would do. All right. Yeah. We're going to talk more about this topic in a few minutes. We're going to take an ad break. When we come back, we're going to look at school situations, school systems, etc., and how we deal with those situations in terms of our children who have neurodivergent needs. For now, a short break. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to New Horizons with me, Sister Faiza Munshi. My guest on the line, Lorindi Nell, we're talking about neurodivergence um, in our children, neurodivergence really defined uh, on today's program. Lorindi, coming back to, you know, talking about neurodivergence, we're talking about it a lot in, in, in relation to children. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, as adults, people have neurodivergent needs as well. But we look at children because I guess, you know, hoping that the foundations are set in a good way. So as adults, you can actually have access to those foundations when you have difficulties. And one of the main foundations for our children with neurodivergence would be the school system. Tell us about where some of the challenges are, what are some of the the important aspects and strategies to understand, you know, the educational approach for children with uh, neurodivergent needs. I think um, uh, neurodivergent children can sometimes function well in mainstream schools, but it is fundamentally important to um, to look at your individual child and to see what they need. So it is possible to work with a teacher or an educator to to develop an individualized education plan where you would, for example, uh, build in certain accommodations like sensory breaks or modified assignments or um, alternative assessment methods, giving a bit of more time to complete an exam or having somebody read the paper and um, you know, making concessions like that. Uh, in some cases, that is not enough because of the challenges that a child might face on their own. I think uh, fundamentally, the, the first thing for me would be that you need to be able to speak to your teacher, the, the, child, the person that's looking after your child. So I've experienced personally that parents feel embarrassed or they feel very scared that maybe the child will be labeled or that the child will be treated differently if, if the school is informed with regards to their diagnosis when in fact uh, it is very helpful for an educator to know a child's profile. Um, I would recommend strongly that teachers take responsibility for helping the teacher by, by giving her the di diagnosis and providing her with information um, that pertains to the way that their child functions on a neurological level and how they learn. Uh, children with neurodivergence need a lot of structure and support in getting that structure they often have hyperfixations which means that if information is interesting to them they can focus for hours um, on end but when information is not interesting it's extremely difficult for them to focus um, their brain just doesn't want to cooperate uh, so I think empowering your child's teacher is very important and also getting to a place where you have to take stock of your situation and if a mainstream school does not work, there are very good schools available 
that still follow a mainstream curriculum, um, but that make uh, accommodations like having smaller classes, having uh, teachers that are specifically trained with regards to neurodiversion. Um, you know, I know in my child's school, they've made allowance for him that his school day can start half an hour later, uh, which makes a tremendous difference to the way that our day starts. Um, sometimes you you would want to have a child uh, be in a in a, a, a sorry in a smaller environment where there's mm. less sensory stimulation so that they can focus better. Um, you have to go and find something that's tailor made for your child. Um, and you know, there's a lot of variety available. I think also if a, a mainstream curriculum is not suited to your child, there's no point in forcing it. Uh, neurodivergent children struggle very often with burnout. And I found that the strategy to deal with that is really to be preventative rather than trying to work with it after the fact which means that you've got to face them and you've got to find a way that that doesn't burn them out by half the year and then you can't do anything for the rest of the year. So yeah, it's really important to find the right curriculum and the right teacher and the right school. There's just so many more questions that I have, but I just have a few more minutes with you on the program. So I'm just going to ask two more questions with regard yes. to dealing with neurodivergent children. I'm, I'm guessing I just want to comment. I think um, in terms of the South African context and for many parents, I would think, you know, the, the school systems might be quite difficult because I'm sure there's a cost then involved in order to get yeah. your child to a smaller environment. So I just want yeah. to make that comment because it's, I know it's very difficult. There's many parents who may be listening and who may feel they know their child needs, you know, the space where it's smaller and it's tailor-made. But um, to those parents, I mean, it's just to say, you know, we understand that it's just, it's not easy for everyone and everyone would do their best for their children. But there's just two more questions. The one I want to ask you um, with regard to children and communication strategies, how do you build a good parent-child relationship when a child is neurodivergent? Because I, I and I, um, I would assume that at some point also for parents, it may get a bit frustrating and they may not be able mm -hmm. to, you know, communicate. And like any parent-child relationship, um, but this may need some special, you know, interaction. So what's, what's sort of the trick there? I think authoritarian parenting that, that relies on punishment and reward does not work with them at all. Um, it, it causes a lot of heartache both ways and the results are dismal at best. Um, Anytime you activate fear for them, they they are unable, to, like even neurotypical people, to really function and, and think what they do. So we want to create a parent-child environment where we communicate all the time. We're a team. We're in this together. We can talk about things. Um, something that helped me a great deal to learn and to understand about my child's experience was that I started using the very simple sentence, help me understand. So I would slow our communication down because the moment anxiety becomes part of it, nothing con conducive to good things happen in a, in a fearful, ang anxiety-ridden context. So, and then I would communicate very clearly that I want to understand and I want to find solutions. So I don't ever want to be my child's adversary, which is exactly what happens when we um, see our child as the problem that we want to fix. Our child is not a problem, our child is a person. 
and when we encounter problems like behavioral problems or misbehavior we need to take hands with them and say listen this is not good the behavior is not good what plan can we make to teach you the skill that you need what is the cause of this children can't answer those questions by the way so so as a parent you have to take the time to observe and to um make sure that you get insight pull in professionals if you need help with that and then from your side towards your child your message is always i'm with you i believe in you and i'm there for you we're gonna do this together and and then you make plans you learn how to become a person that finds a way many times against all odds but but that's very important for children I think very quickly, um, Lorindi, are there any recommended books or resources that can help, you know, parents better understand and embrace the role as a parent uh, to a neurodivergent child? Um, books that I love are the books of Dr. Daniel Siegel. Uh, he wrote a book called The Whole Brain Child. It gives you a very good understanding of... Um, also the emotional side of when children are triggered, which often happens with our neurodivergent children. Um, a wonderful, wonderful book that gave me a tremendous insight was the book written by Annie Katowicz. Um, its name is What I Mean When I Say I'm Autistic. Um, it's, it's got a very reader-friendly approach with short chapters, and she really just shares her experience of a neurodivergent person in a neurotypical world um, that helped me a lot and yeah then I think any uh, parenting books that that speak specifically to the specific need that your child has I'm, I'm very wary of just using the broad category when we advising parents with individual children you have to go and look um, to educate yourself in terms of your child's specific neurodivergence um, and yeah, so so those are my favorites. Dr. Daniel Siegel is brilliant. Um, his approach is very good. And then, yeah, the biograph biographical books help a lot. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I'm sure we'll speak in the future again because I do think we've only sort of, you know, got to the tip of the iceberg yeah. on this. Right. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time on Radio Islam International today. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Have a great day. For now, a very short break. When we come back, we go to life lessons. La ilaha illallah. La Something for everyone on your favorite learning station. This is Radio Islam International. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back. Uh, we're in this look for life, uh, life lessons. It's a space to ponder weekly about the little things and the big things that take place in our world and the lessons we derive from it. So like I said in the beginning of the program, my lesson for this week, alhamdulillah, is um, there's khair or goodness in every delay. 
you know, when we look at the, our lives, we need to understand, we have situations all the time. I don't know if many of you have actually taken note of it, but I, I think as time goes, we, we start to take note of these moments. And, you know, if people always say, I think the older generation often says, be patient, there's khair in every delay, there's goodness in every delay. Um, and I think when you're younger and you're a kid and you want something immediately, there's, you know, there's that impatience about it, there's that need for that, you know, um, what they call uh, immediate gratification or instant gratification and something you know sometimes it's it's as you get older you realize that sometimes there's always not sometimes but there's always a goodness there's always um something that good comes out of some of a delay so something as simple as you know you're getting into your car you end up getting to your car a little bit late i've heard these stories so many times um where the car wouldn't start and there's this frustration that this car wouldn't start and you got delayed and and then you know something happened and you and you get on your way only to find out like maybe two minutes before you reach an, reach an intersection there was this massive accident um and this and there's this always and then like things like maintenance issues within your household for example where you're frustrated waiting for something to get done you're waiting for someone to pitch up you're waiting for this plumber or the you know the electrician and as you know the delays happen you find out maybe there was a different problem or the person you were going to use um, may not be as as you know well equipped as you thought they were so these little things that happen in our lives like um, where there's this delay but we need to be a little bit patient and I think I mean looking at it in a more intense in a more difficult in a more um, in a form you know where many of us may say you know we're finding it hard to to almost wait for that you know, a goodness to come is the situation in Gaza at the moment, in the situation in Palestine at the moment. There's, there's this feeling of we know that there will be victory, but that waiting, that 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 patience in what's going on in the moment and trying to find meaning in that. I think that's where, as human beings, we've got to find the strength uh, to be able to deal with the situations. But on a simple everyday basis, in uh, in in terms of dealing with delays that happen in terms of dealing with something that comes up and something pops up in our day i think there needs to be the space of what is allah uh protecting me from what is allah preparing me for what is allah holding back from me that may be bad for me what is allah you know going to give me instead of you know even those things like you want to buy a home you want to go for hajj or you want to go for uh you want to buy a car you want this every there's there's often delays you know or you're looking for, to find a job and there's just this this difficulty in getting there and right now a lot of other kids trying to get into university or trying to find a way in a space so there's you know we just have to have faith that in this delay in this whatever is going on in that moment there's going to be goodness in it so that's life lessons for this week alhamdulillah uh, i'm hoping that today's program has been beneficial to many of you and that brings us to the end of today's program. So until next time, from, from me, Sister Faiza Munshi, it's a wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.